لو كان سلعة تباع لبذلت فيه الأموال العظام أو صعد في السماء لسمت إليه نفوس الكرام بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome all viewers and listeners wherever you may be to yet another episode of a TBN podcast which is a project dedicated to helping examine with knowledge contemporary affairs happening in the Muslim communities. Likewise, we discuss topics such as studying in Saudi Arabia, benefiting from, from some of the most uh, benefiting from some of the most prominent Islamic scholars of today, how to apply to the different universities, juggling marital life along with studies, self-improvement, education, books, and much more. We used to have our up, weekly up, uploads, was it every Monday, I think? Now we took a two-week, two-month hiatus, uh, so now I'm back here today. Uh, with the co-host, Ustad, my brother, Muhammad Dawali. Hayak Allah. Allah hayyik. Alhamdulillah. It's great to be back, man. Mashallah. Yeah, alhamdulillah. You know, subhanAllah, I didn't know we were off for two months until somebody messaged, like on the comments, because I had sent something out, you know, asking for people to, you know, put it, you know, questions forward or topics, suggestions, etc. And, you know, somebody was like, Alhamdulillah, it's been two months, you guys are back. And I'm just <laughs> yeah. like, wow, it's been that long. <laughs> yeah, it's I think uh, Ramadan break. That's, no, it's actually probably longer than two months. Uh, isn't it? Like last 10 of Ramadan, just before last 10, I think we finished. Yeah, the 24th night when we did a live stream in yeah. Mecca. Yeah. And that was the last time we recorded something. Yeah, so you got the whole of Shawwal, the whole of Dhul Qa'dah. And the Hijj yeah, is about to finish, so... so it's actually, yeah, so it's actually almost much three months, more than actually. two months, yeah. Yeah, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, but alhamdulillah, you know, um, it was still good, you know, to see all the participation after, you know, taking this two, three-month hiatus of, you know, doing my studies with Magister and being busy with them things. And then I put the question out and, you know, okay, what topics should we discuss? And subhanAllah, the participation was overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, and he got messages on the on the U, the YouTube community channel. Got messages in the Telegram. Got personal messages. Got emails. <sighs> yeah, and Subhanallah. Um, so yeah, so people might look at our new setup today and wonder, okay, what's going on? Where's the <laughs> where's the uh, you know the office set up and you know the books in the background? Oh, you guys put oh, where's together. Where's my coffee? Where's my coffee and donut? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Your 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 coffee and your croissant. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So right now, uh, it's summer break. Obviously, we're recording this uh, on the night of Ju- July tenth, my time. You, you, it's already July eleventh, right? Yeah, yeah. Tuesday, Tuesday. after Fajr. Yeah. Exactly. Which is let's see, what is the Hijri day? The twenty fourth night for me of the Hijjah. Twenty fourth night of the Hijjah. So it's already twenty fourth day there of the Hijjah for you. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I was saying, it's a summer break. I'm traveling. I'm back in the states right now. Walilahamd visiting family. You're still in the Memleka. I'm still in Riyadh. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. But I got you covered, Akhida. We have yeah. books, Alhamdulillah. So at least, you know. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> you have your books behind. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Yeah, yeah. Alhamdulillah. How's the real treating you, Akhi? Akhi, Riyadh is good. Obviously, uh, the heat is uh, uh, not, you know, you know, Riyadh heat. Alhamdulillah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah is good, Akhi. Uh, good opportunity to work on a few things that I've been postponing for quite a while. Alhamdulillah. The summer yeah, that's the good thing about... Yeah, that's the good thing about the summers in um, the Memlekah. 
you can really busy your time with priorities and things that you've missed throughout the year. Yeah. So, you know, um, your Quran falling behind, good time to take advantage of maybe some Quran halaqat or dorat. There might yeah, be going plenty on. of them. Um, These safety dorat, yeah. mashallah. I'm getting messages yeah. almost every other day about some yeah. masjid who's doing a, a, a summer program for revising the Quran or memorizing, mashallah. It's beautiful. Alhamdulillah. Yeah, that's from the blessings of being there. Plus, you have Dawrat for the Mashayikh, usually. I'm not sure. Did you just, have you yeah, seen any? Yeah, all, what's over, going the, on all right over now? the place, yeah. After a very yeah. long break, the door of the Mam is back, Akhi. Oh, MashaAllah. I miss, I miss that door, Akhi. That door, I never used to miss it. Every single year, up until Corona, obviously, hit us. Mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. door of the Mam is back. Sheikh Ali is take, uh, taking part. Sheikh Hamad Ramzan Al-Hajri. Sheikh Saud Al-Wad'ani. Sheikh Rashid bin Ramzan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen that actually. Sheikh Ali put it on his status, I believe. Yeah. Then you have a Dora yeah, in yeah, Jazan as well. Dora of Jazan is happening as well. Alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. Alhamdulillah. It's Mumtaz. Jameel. Beautiful, uh, beautiful. Another Dora in Riyadh as well. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, beautiful, beautiful. So that's the, that's the, hey, the blessings about being in Saudi right now. I mean, yeah. you can go there, um, you can benefit from these Dorats. You can likewise, you know, it's a good opportunity to maybe even get close to some of the mashayikh. You know, this would be the time where a lot of students will, you know, visit the mashayikh in their houses or sit with them for longer periods of time after the salawat. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of the students have traveled. Yeah, definitely. On the flip side to that, though, you know, I would highly encourage, you know, students uh, who uh, have graduated or, you know, um, maybe on a cusp of graduating if they have the ability to definitely travel back and give da'wah. If you're not able to stay in the Memlika, give da'wah and come back and visit these communities. Being back in, in the West right now, I've been here for, uh, what is it, about two weeks now? Maybe two weeks now. And um, there's a big need, you know. Uh, yeah. There's, a, there's a, you know, a big need for Tulab to come back and, you know, not just teach the people, but be with the people. Yeah. Um, communicate with them, help them in the system, be with the youth. You know, there's been a lot of things going on that, um, you know, with the youth that, you know, they really need assistance. They need somebody who's going to be like that big brother to them and help them out, help, you know, direct them. And, you know, this is where us as Tulab and can step in, you yeah. know, and try to do our best. Definitely. Even, know, so. even a person's family need, need him as well. Uh, brothers, yeah, exactly. sisters, extended family, you know, mm-hmm. they, mm-hmm. if anyone's going to benefit from uh, your studying abroad, it has to be your family first. Yeah. Hey, Wallah. Sahih. Sahih. You know, there was a statement from, um, you know, the general asal, right, is that there should always be that, uh, that hub, yani, mahabba between the ikhwa, you know, people of Ahl Sunnah, and whether it be distance or no distance, you know, there should always be the asal of, okay, I'll, you're upon what I left you upon, which is upon khair, upon sunnah, upon benefiting mashayikh, etc., right? Um, uh, and there was a statement from uh, Shaykh al Islam. Uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, where he said, uh, I might not see someone for, or was it Shaykh Islam, or it might have been Imam Ahmed? Yeah, Imam Ahmed, I think, yeah. Imam Ahmed, yeah, who said that, you know, I might not see someone for years, you know, brother for years, one of my closest friends, but when I see him, it's like I never left him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm summarizing that. So, yeah. unfortunately, though, you see that sometimes that does get corrupted, and the shaitan does, you know, come in between those relationships and you know there might be a lot of you know there might be whatever the case may be um but once you come back and you're back in the communities sometimes just being present 
sometimes being present and being able to give salams with a smiling face and you know try to assist in any way possible uh, being around for the Eid being around for the Salawat being around for the, the Khutbah etc these type of things bring back that you know that hope between the brothers and um, this is another reason for Tulab to be back in these communities sometimes you know you see that there becomes a bit of a distance uh, from the Tulab who might be studying versus the communities they might have come from or the people in the West uh, you know and it's good to connect that. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. Allah Alhamdulillah. Allah I mean, so okay. So back after two months, three months almost. Um, do, before we get started into these questions or topics, do you have any upcoming programs that you might want to let the people know that you might be doing? Um, not really. I mean, like I said, there's a few big, big, big stones that I wanted to turn for a long time that I'm working on, but. Not ready to yeah release details, but um, mm-hmm. even my drus took it as well. I mean, uh, as much as you were focusing on your masters, I was doing the same thing as well uh, since Ramadan. So my Akhi, that's good. Don't don't sound so sad. Akhi. Don't sound so sad. That's no, I'm not sad. Well, I'm not sad for <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Finally, getting the thesis ID accepted. That was, that was a major milestone. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but mm-hmm. I'm sad for the drus that took a hit. You know. <laughs> But, yeah, um, yeah. I'm slowly trying yeah. to get back into the flow again. Uh, my tafsir class has been on hold for a while. Probably won't be able mm-hmm. to start that until uh, after the uh, mm-hmm. holiday. Alhamdulillah. The Usul mm-hmm. al Thalatha class has been resumed. I uh, started some Arabic classes as well. Uh, but for the rest, there's nothing really new. Oh, we did have, Alhamdulillah, for those that might want to benefit from it too, <coughs> the, the days of the Hijjah. Just three days before Yom uh, Arafah, we done a three-day series on the fiqh of dua. Alhamdulillah, which was highly beneficial and highly mm-hmm. relevant as well because Yom Arafah was the day of dua. Uh, having yeah, said that, obviously, every day is day of dua. So anyone that wants to go back and, and, and watch those series, then inshallah ta'ala, mm-hmm. it will be, it's up on my channel. Um, I think it's on live streams. Yeah, I think it's live streams, but um, I'm currently working on Editing the videos of a member of the team working on that so that it can be uh, more concise and to the point, inshallah. So, nevertheless, just keep Allah an eye on the Telegram channel. But for the rest, nothing else. Uh, I'm happy at least to uh, be doing this again. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. 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 Yeah, it actually feels very good coming back into this. And this might be our setup moving forward. You know, just I think it's convenient for both of us. Yeah, that's um, a good thing. Even when we're in a memlika. Yeah, no, it's that's, convenient. That's a good thing. Now, this, we're kind of like. Um, with this new experience, alhamdulillah, working on future-proofing to be an alhamdulillah, because that way, you know, obviously nothing better mm-hmm. than doing it in person together, but mm-hmm. alhamdulillah, with this mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. setup, if it works out, then it's, uh, it means inshallah, uh, Tibian is, uh, inshallah, is in good hands, and uh, mm-hmm. it will mm-hmm. continue inshallah, no matter where we go. <laughs> no, we ask Allah for tawfiq, for ikhlas. Amen. I mean, so I want to uh, actually let the, the the subscribers and the viewers and listeners know about my topic because it was accepted. Uh, and there was there's been a few people asking, you know, Ustad, what is the topic? And I even came back and brothers are like, yeah, I seen you're off on the podcast, you know. So what's your you know magistrate about? So I did want to let people know, and I think that might be um, a good idea because maybe people might have some information that I haven't came across yet, even though Subhanallah, it's been a big eye opener coming through this study. Um, so anyway, my topic is um, the nation of Islam, 
it's on the Nation of Islam, a critical ideological study in light of the Quran and Sunnah. So uh, the Nation of Islam, I think people, a lot of people are familiar with the Nation of Islam yeah. here in America. And, uh, you know, it started in the 20th, early 20th century, like 1930s to 1932, around this time. Um, so what I do in this study that I'm going through is I have to go through and lay out their history along with their 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 belief system, their creed, their aqidah, um, uh, talk about some of their, their founders and the big, you know, um, pioneers of that, that um, belief. And then I go through pretty much in light of, you know, what they say about the five pillars of Islam, what they say, uh, the asul, a sitta of iman, you know, I go through that and I lay it out and pretty much refute it. And that's what I've been doing. And subhanAllah. I'm sure, I'm sure the, I'm sure the audience is thinking, I mean, at least is what I thought. How has this mm -hmm. not been studied properly up until now? <laughs> it's a major mm -hmm. uh, really a benefit and a, a really a, a blessing from Allah that you have the ability to study this very important topic, especially uh, mm -hmm. being from America and probably being exposed to that kind of, or knowing people who are exposed to it. It's Allah wafaqak Allah, it's a. Uh, I can't wait for it to come out. <laughs> yeah, you know what? To, let me just address that. There has been a lot wrote, written on this topic, you know, previously, as far as, you know, something talking about their history. Um, and this is in Arabic and English, mostly English. You know, people have did a lot, extensive writings on it. Um, some books have been written individually about some of their founders. Um, some things have been speaking about, you know, some of their maybe um, – some of their lectures or things like that. Some people breaking it down and critiquing it, but nobody, uh, from what I've seen, has went through and actually critiqued it in light of the Quran and Sunnah. And that's where uh, my research becomes unique in that sense. So you do an art wanakt. So you literally go through point for point what they say, where they say it, what they believe, who said it, when they said it. What does Islam say about it? What does Islam say about those who hold that belief? And this is where I do each point, each point, each point. So you have some things that have been written, but it's very, some people have maybe talked about some things very short or maybe talked about one brief time. So they're limited in their research. I go through all of it. Well, I, to be honest, uh, that makes me even more excited when you say that. I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> inshallah, hopefully this will be, I wouldn't say a blueprint, but it would be a very good example um, and we have the best of thoughts in you inshallah and your abilities for anyone that wants to refute people really mm -hmm. because right now it's quite mm -hmm. haphazard sometimes it's quite childish sometimes it's mm -hmm. outright wrong full of oppression mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so hopefully it will be uh, something that people can, can look at and be like okay well if you're going to refute a misguided sect uh, especially mm. written in English. I mean, obviously, there are many books of refutation written by the scholars in Arabic, but uh, mm -hmm. in an academic uh, any way that you've mentioned, going back to what mm -hmm. they've said, where they've said it, and and showing the ard of the Quran and the Sunnah, that's something very much needed, Akhi, in the Western space. Mm -hmm. It's something that is yeah, missing. Yeah. Uh, refutations are haphazard. Uh, they're not just at all times. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have people hating people or warning against people without even knowing why yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, what yeah. did he say Sahih. where did Sahih. he go wrong what is his misguidance mm -hmm. i don't know all i mm -hmm. know is 
Sheikh Fulan refuted him. Okay, what does refutation even mean? Refutation, does that yeah. literally mean that khalas, you can't take from the person, he's a mubtadiyah? Because refuta- mm. I mean, that, that's, it's a misunderstanding a lot of people have because people, they're like, mm. um, sometimes you see questions that come and someone says, yeah, Ustad or Fulan bin Fulan has been refuted by the scholars mm-hmm. or a scholar. So, then you yeah. say, okay, yeah. refuted, number one, on what basis? And number two, what kind of refutation? Sometimes refutation mm-hmm. is just a, 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 a some criticism, a knowledge-based yeah, critique. criticism, critique. Yes, mm-hmm. but it's it's not a tabdir. It's not a you know um, yeah. uh, avoid him like the plague. It's not exiting them out. Of, yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly, exactly. So there's no yeah. differentiation yeah. even there between you know what's a refutation, what's a tabdir. It's like if two scholars refute each other or two scholars they critique each other. Khalas, you know, one of them has to be upon the sunnah one has to be moved to there that's not the case <laughs> yeah so inshallah yeah, hopefully exactly. it will be a good uh, a good example inshallah ta'ala for, for others to follow that's what we hope inshallah sahih sahih I mean I hope so we ask Allah for you know tawfiq you know and ikhlas there, I mean there is like, again there has been some people who wrote some things about it um, from the I would say uh, more academic Islamic approaches based upon Ahl Sunnati wa Jama'ah that has been written on them um, was a book done by one of the du'at here in America actually uh, Brother Rashid Barbi he did a book and to be honest uh, you know I went through it I read it and I was like okay this is very good for people who you know want to get just a general outline of what they may believe in certain aspects and how to be, give a quick like maybe one answer to rebuttal it you know it's not really in detail it's only like 60 pages or 70 pages if i remember correctly um but it'll give you you know a very nice summary on it no you know but not with you know again not in depth no yeah, not, Just uh, Allah not a thesis yeah. no thesis, not a thesis yeah. no no it's it's, it's really li- it's, it's really brief it's really brief no, mashallah. Yeah, Allah Allah uh, so let's no Allah, I mean. so let's jump into it again um so these questions and topics that were sent to me, there was tons, bro, tons. So what I tried to do is I tried to go through them and merge and consolidate whatever ones I could to try to get the most important ones. And then whatever carries into the next week or however we start doing the podcast from now on, we'll just try to take whatever we can when we can, inshallah ta'ala. Now, before we go to so the, the first questions, one, Zahir, I think an important mm. thing to mention for everyone mm. is... Um, mm. Universities, this is university season. Um, a lot of universities yeah, open yeah, their yeah. doors, admissions. Um, my university, mm. King Saud University, is currently accepting mm-hmm. applications. Umul Qura is currently accepting applications as well. And um, I was thinking of doing maybe a small video, just like the one you've done for Imam Akhi, on how to apply. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of doing good. a similar Very one good. for King Saud, inshallah. And if Very anyone good. needs any, I suppose more detailed help or help with applying our brother Abdullah bin Khamis I think he recently um, launched this website consultation website Medina Student Thank Live uh, and mm-hmm. I think he has mm-hmm. such a service whereby he helps people apply to different universities so uh, I would advise everyone beautiful, if anyone beautiful. wants to apply to check that out inshallah and get in touch with them uh, yeah, so yeah. that's a good that's an important you know announcement I think mm-hmm, I think you had mm-hmm. it somewhere in the notes. I don't know what happened to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we exactly. So we're, I mean, we're kind of 
all over the place today. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was probably like the third thing I was going to talk about. Oh. So we can jump right into that, which is the advice of applicants applying for the upcoming year in oh, Islamic so University. I, ju- I, ju- was I jumped of, the cons, oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought yeah, I was no, part of the introduction, sorry. <laughs> nah, it's all, it's all good. Let's go right into it, inshallah. So that was one of the, the questions that came uh, across. And again, this is just me consolidating and put it together. But generally, it breaks down to that. What is some advice for applicants applying to the upcoming year in Islamic universities? So okay. I'll let you go ahead and start that, inshallah. Oh, okay. So, um, well, apart from definitely have to apply. <laughs> Step number one, advice mm-hmm. number one, make sure you apply before the deadline closes. <laughs> Don't postpone. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That happens a lot. 100%. Uh, obviously, I would say, I mean, some people actually would argue quite naively, I would say, just apply to any university. And truth has to be said, mm-hmm. uh, almost every Saudi university has scholarship seats. And you'll probably mm-hmm. find a seat in Jami'atul uh, Majma'ah or Tabuk or whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, you need to think twice, uh, really. Um, mm-hmm. Because, especially depending on your age, if you have many years ahead of you with the ability to apply, then I would prioritize uh, those universities that are in cities where you find scholars, such as Medina, Mecca, Riyadh. Jazan is also good, alhamdulillah. Uh, but any other university, you have to think twice and ask, are there any scholars there, Salafi scholars that I can benefit from? Because otherwise, um, you're, you're going to be, you are going to be lonely anyway, because there's not many tulab. You might not, you might be the only Western student there. But even on top of that, mm-hmm. if you can't find regular durus, then uh, you might not, you know, be patient enough to stay and study there for, for, for all those years. So keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're desperate, for example, you're 24 and you're hitting the deadline and you just want to mm-hmm. leave the West and be able to come here and, and study formally, then then apply to every university that you can, of course. That is the now, one point. Now. now, your university right now, is it open? Yes. Medexo? So no. Medexo is open. Do you know when, until when? Um, I think for a month. I'm not really sure. Uh, okay. I, I did have the date somewhere. Actually, I can check. Yeah. 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 Check for me. So okay. Can, uh, check that out because I know I know um, uh, Omar Qura was open, but they had a really brief window. Oh, uh, closed already. I think it might have. No, they're no, I, they're opening it, actually. They're opening. Well, I mean, I saw the message yesterday. On or Omar Qura. No, Omar Qura. Okay, so. Mm. Uh, Umbul Qura Okay, subhanAllah, look The Islamic of University of Medina Has opened its doors to apply I'm just seeing that now On Abdullah bin Khamis's channel And regarding Umbul Qura I've seen that a couple of days ago It says here that um, Oh no, he deleted it Oh, I just saw the message, it's gone now Okay, well, mm-hmm. I don't know I saw the message just a minute ago It's got deleted from the channel I don't know why. Okay. So Umul Qur'an can't say. Uh, Malik Saud, it's opening. It opened on the 19th of June. And it's going to close mm-hmm. on the 17th of August. So there's about another month left. Montez. And the preliminary Montez. results will come out on the 5th of November. Which, alhamdulillah, is something new today. I wouldn't say new, but we did. It, that didn't exist in our time. We had to wait the mm-hmm. whole year. and mm-hmm. uh, But they, yeah. they're going to give yeah. you an answer by November, which is good for, you know. Year we we would probably have to wait 
two years sometimes longer yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> to find yeah. out if we got some years or yeah some years randomly they just wouldn't accept nobody yeah exactly so <laughs> alhamdulillah that's Malik Saud Medina just opened Malik Saud's open for another month mm-hmm. Umm Al-Qura mm-hmm. I think it's open Okay. Unless you Imam know University, I have, to, I have to check it out. I don't know about Imam. I'd have to check it out. Okay. But I'll post it, inshallah, in the Telegram group if there is something that's open yet. I haven't seen anything yet though, until now. Anyway, now, 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 is the, goes, now is the application season anyway. So. Ex- exactly. So apply as fast as possible. If you need help, there we mentioned some resources that can get you help and get you applying uh, and ready for this upcoming year. Um, there's a question that kind of goes along with this uh, that I just thought about because I've seen it in the email that it tends to come up every single year, which is, you know, I'm over the age limit. So what should I do? And now I don't think, I know at least for Gemini Imam, they won't even allow you to put, you know, a birth date uh, older than when the required uh, birth year. You get what I'm, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, they're, they were asking, can I come in person and do so? I don't advise with that. Uh, why? Because they're going to tell you the same thing in person, which is that it's not something that's coming from the university itself. Now it's, going for, it's coming from the Wizara, right? So they might, even some students might get accepted from the beginning. Wizara is like the Ministry of Education. No, no actually, so, actually, I think, mm, uh, mm-hmm. no, I remember last year, me and another brother, we went to the uh, Wazara. This brother got accepted mm-hmm. like eight years ago, I think, and I don't know what happened. Somehow mm-hmm. they messed up mm-hmm. and he found out late. And he's over mm-hmm. the age limit. I remember the guy actually telling mm-hmm. us, specifically at the Ministry of Education, that mm-hmm. it's up to the university. If they accept you, uh, then then we'll, we'll go ahead. But like you said, some universities don't even entertain that at all. Yeah. Um, except for Umm Al-Qura. I remember Umm Al-Qura, mm-hmm. they got rid of the age limit. Mm-hmm. And I think Medina... There's quite a few people that I know that got in and beyond the Yeah, but no, no. So, so, so let me let me clarify. So, from what I understand, I mean, in the past, people get accepted yeah. randomly above the age limit, no problem. Okay, uh, not no problem, but I mean, it would happen. Yeah. It wouldn't be something odd, right? Um, however, what I'm trying to say now is because Gemini Mama is set up that way, right, where you can't apply if you're above the age limit. What they'll tell you, because I went in person, they'll tell you that. When you go and apply, and they, they might even accept you in, right? But if they see that your age on your birth certificate, whatever the case may be, may be too old, they said, they told me at least, that the Wizada can reject it. Now, I think in your situation that you're mentioning, um, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Perfect, perfect. So I was saying, uh, in your situation, yeah, uh, yeah. from what I understand is if you were accepted a before you went over that age limit, like you said, that guy was, he, you know, was like five years past or whatever the case may be. I think that's when it becomes up to the university to kind of like see what happens. Allah knows best. I, I mean, it, it seems like things, it seems like things change so frequently yeah. almost every other Not year. And then some people have unique cases. Some people have wasata, which is like a middleman that helps them pass. Some people, you know, it's just tell of Allah. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's hard to really say. Yeah. I mean, if you want to come, if you want to come, there's always a reason to come to Saudi. So, alhamdulillah, come and do your umrah, you know. Come mm-hmm. visit, see some ulama, come visit us, inshallah. But uh, the point is, uh, yeah, you mm-hmm. might be disappointed if that's your only objective, like like you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now when applications, everything's online anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, 
they can't really do much for you if you can't get through the portal. So, but like I said, um, al Qur'an, yeah, there's, Qur'an, they, there's no um, way you can remember. turn papers and you know, get the so. in, you know, in hand, you know, on paper. That them days are over. Everything is online. Yeah. So, yeah. like you say, if they if you can't get through the portal phase, yeah. then there's really not going to yeah. be much they can do for you. Nah, so uh, okay, so do we do we deal with that whole topic right there of advice for those applying upcoming year? Okay, so we can look at it from another angle. Okay, we talked about it from uh, like more so a um, what we say a formal way of thinking about the jamia and how it's applied. Now maybe somebody might be saying, okay, I might be accepted or I've been accepted. So how, what what is your advice now for me? How would you answer it from that angle, maybe? What, what, what are some things that people might can do to prepare themselves for this journey that they're about to, you know, embark upon? Yeah, mm. I mean, I think we've covered this before in the earlier podcast uh, series of episodes, but really there's nothing you can do better, in my opinion, to prepare yourself for the university than to uh, gain some of those, I mean, from an academic or from a knowledge perspective, then gaining those core resources or skills that you need to mm-hmm. be an effective student of knowledge, such as memorizing the Quran, of course, and learning mm-hmm. the Arabic language and the other, what they would call ulum al-ala, these sciences which the scholars consider to be tools, the tools of, of trade, if you like. Those are the tools of trade for a student of knowledge. That's, that's what you're going to use in this particular mm-hmm. field. You're going to use your uh, hifd, strength, to memorize and remember stuff uh, and there's nothing mm-hmm. no, no better way obviously than to develop that than to memorize the book of Allah and obviously you're going to be studying the medium of Arabic so understanding the language to the highest possible level will give you a major advantage over everyone else and when it comes to Arabic I would say mm-hmm. uh, there are uh, what I call the forgotten skills that everyone who learns Arabic really overlooks for the most part a lot of people they overlook these skills uh, we know that learning a language mm-hmm. there are four skills reading listening speaking and writing uh, but those are general areas they're not skills they're general areas but on the reading for example you have reading mm-hmm. fluency or the actual reading mm-hmm. as in letter recognition and the likes and you have reading comprehension so when people say reading they always focus on or they think about reading comprehension, reading a book and understanding what the author has said and answering questions. No, no, no. That's a higher or that's that, that's a higher level. But that level is really mm-hmm. built on your ability to actually even read the text because a lot of people, they struggle with actually recognizing the letters and reading fluently. So you're reading fluency. Another forgotten skill would be sound recognition. It's recognizing the correct sounds when you hear them so that you hear... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> when somebody says it, you don't hear mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not used to the to the to the letter qaf, uh, and your pronunciation, of course. That when you say the qaf or the kaf or the ain or the hamza, you don't mix them up. And also, we have the writing mm-hmm. skills, extremely important, handwriting and typing. Because you're going to be doing assignments, and yeah. if you can't write your name in Arabic, <laughs> let alone anything else, or your typing takes ages, mm-hmm. then uh, something that would have taken you 15 minutes will take you an hour. And then finally, we have um, 
Yeah, so that th- those those are all four actually. So when it comes to reading, reading fluency. When it comes to listening, sound recognition. When it comes to speaking, make sure your pronunciation mm. is correct, because no one will understand you if you mix up these uh, these sounds. And when it comes to writing, make sure that you mm-hmm. uh, can write fluently with pen in hand and or typing on the keyboard. These are skills that I would say, you know, even if you're on your journey learning Arabic, pay specific attention to these skills, inshallah ta'ala. And for the rest, obviously, immerse yourself in the language as much as possible uh, so that when you do come here, you can understand what the doctor is saying, uh, inshallah ta'ala. So that's what I would say is the best way mm-hmm. to prepare mm-hmm. yourself. On top of, obviously, yeah. learning how yeah. to take notes and everything. And like we said, ulum al-ala, generally speaking, there are many. Yeah, I have to agree with uh, you on all of that. And, I, and again, I think we did discuss this earlier. So people looking for more detail on this topic, you can look at the earlier podcast. Um, but just adding to that, uh, because all of that is definitely important. The Arabic, the two things you need to focus on before coming, like you said, Arabic. All these aspects that are included in that. And likewise, uh, Quran. You give your dedication to that. You can find a Quran teacher. You can find somebody who can help you get the steps in Arabic. And Alhamdulillah, the brother, Muhammad Dawali, he has Arabic courses. And, you know, there's also people who are out here who are teaching Quran, maybe your local masjid, maybe online, whatever the case may be. Get involved in these because you need to develop some type of routine of continuous memorization if you haven't already. And also learning how to write and hear these different words as they come along. Um, which leads us to another question that came along. Uh, it's kind of on this topic because uh, it's about taking notes and seeking knowledge. But let's go into it now. It says, Assalamu alaikum, assalamu alaikum. Uh, I had a question, dear Ustav, which was, which was bugging me for some time. And I've been asking quite a few brothers about it. Which is how to make notes in the metan when studying because sometimes there's not enough space. You have to try different techniques. Example, one brother paper clips some notes onto each page. Jazakumullah khairan. So, just in brief, he's asking how to take notes in the metan itself. Yeah. Now, um, I think uh, the metan is like the, the text, the main text, the, the main body of text for that particular uh, knowledge. So, for example, Surah yeah. Thalatha is a metan. Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab. Kuala Arba has a metan, you know, meaning the, 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 the speech, the text, only from yeah. the sheikh itself, which is very concise. Only a few pages. Then you have, you know, the shuruhat, the explanations that are much bigger books, but that's not the metan, right? That's added to the metan. That's the explanation of the metan. So he's asking, okay, if I'm doing memorization of the metan, I have the metan with me, how do I take notes in this metan? I'm going to let you, you, you tackle that. Um, then I'll, I'll add on. Yeah. Uh, well, a very practical step that I follow for taking notes in books, generally speaking. The method might be slightly different. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let's say I'm reading a book. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you should never, ever read a book without a pen in hand. Um, because thinking happens through the medium of writing. So you have to always read what the author says and then try and put in your own words and whatever, or your thoughts, you need to write it down. Uh, again, note-taking uh, topic for another day. So what do I do? Uh, instead mm. of paper-clipping pages, I use sticky notes. So I use sticky notes. So I have the sticky note, <laughs> and I've got actually different sizes. Actually, I am home today. I could show them. but <laughs> um, I have different sizes. I've got very small ones for like small notes. I've got 
big ones and there are some that are literally almost like half mm-hmm. a page like really big like they they take up half of the page and um, i just write on those notes as much as i need depending on what's going through my mind mm-hmm. and then i stick them uh on that page close to where the author said so right now you're speech. talking about regular text regular and, text and, that and you're that's it through. and then obviously um that is regular text that i'm reading through and well, one might argue that, well, the book is going to get really thick. Well, it will, but this is just a temporary stage for me anyway mm-hmm. because um, you have to digitize your notes anyway because if you're going to have these mm-hmm. notes inside the book, you can't really get to them when you need them if they're somewhere inside a book. So uh, that's then we have to go to stage two, which is then taking these sticky notes and then uh, typing them up or summarizing them and adding mm-hmm. them to your knowledge base, whatever it may be, whatever tool that you're using. I think a good topic for another day, inshallah. The metan itself, there are books out there, actual specific prints, where it gives you one line on the top and then a lot of space to write at the bottom. So it really depends on how extensive the sharh is that you're listening to. Some of the shuruh, they're very extensive. Some of the... Um, and I assume anyway, I assume that when you're saying how do I take notes on a metan, it's either one of two things. Either you're attending a dars, or uh-huh. you're reading a sharh. If you're reading a sharh, you don't need to worry mm-hmm. about it because the sharh is there. The explanation of the sheikh is in the book form itself. So you can use a sticky notes approach to add small things that you want to add from yourself. And then use your highlighter and your pen and everything to do other stuff. But if you're listening to it, then yes, the small books for memorization mm-hmm. that just have the metan, you shouldn't be taking notes yeah. in there anyway. They're not for taking notes in there. They're for memorizing you should have another print. You should have those prints that have one line at the top and a lot of lines below. Or what, uh, something else that you can do is, what I would do is just print the metan, but have the text on just one page, one sided page, so that the other side is empty. And what I used to do is because of the fact that Arabic is written from right to left, uh-huh. uh, I would uh-huh. have um, the one side on the left, the metan uh-huh. on the left, and then I would write... like because it's a bit difficult to write on mm-hmm. the right. You see what I mean? If if the metan, the text is on your right, because I think some books, mm-hmm. they make that mistake. The metan's on the right, then you got mm-hmm. the lines on the left. Of course. And it's a bit yeah. difficult to yeah. write no. on the left-hand page, you know, when, when the right-hand page you're reading from. But yes, the other way around, easier. you have the metan on the left, it's very easy to write while uh, reading the metan now. Looking back at this question, I'm guessing he's talking about his, he has the metan. And I, I, the way I understood the question is that he's memorizing or he's using it for... The only reason you're using a metan, like you mentioned, you're memorizing it or it's a quick read maybe to brief, you know, do some review of that metan that you memorized already. Uh, but generally speaking, you don't sit there with the metan and, and a dars with the sheikh. You know, uh, like you're... you're if I'm, we're talking about the same... And the matun, yeah, yeah. these are small texts that you have and you carry around. You can maybe be carrying your pocket, uh, carrying your car, etc., um, so uh, if you're if that is the case that you're using that metan, 
like you said, there's no notes that really go in that. That is for memorization. Yeah, that's for... Ex- ex- you have to have external textbook. You have to have your own exercise book on the side or... That's not for <laughs> writing notes and things like that. Um, maybe, I think maybe sometimes I might use it to maybe underline something or, you know, highlight something, uh, you know, uh, Kelly mats that might, you know, stick out. Uh, then I might need to go back and you know get the, the the meaning of that helps with your memorization, understanding properly what you're memorizing. Um, but as far as like notes, like I'm like writing down a lot of stuff, no, that doesn't tend to happen. However, if you do need something that you for whatever reason you need to write some notes on it, nowadays they're selling these uh, these big books that are matun. Yeah, they're big like actual size books, you know. Uh, Maybe something like, you know, this notebook, right? And it's literally yeah. has lines, usually tends to have lines in it already, whether in the back or like you said, on the other uh, page facing it. So maybe on the right hand side while the medicine's on the left. If that's the case, then it's pretty simple of how you want to take notes. Those are usually used for dorats and things like that. But a beginner student who's using a metin and he's trying to use it for memorization and things like that, you don't have much notes. You don't what are you gonna what are you writing? Yani ashar, yani you are explaining it to yourself. You know, you, nah, you need a scholar. You need somebody to teach you it. You need somebody to sit down and break these things down for yeah. you. The meanings. You don't need to be writing and giving your own little shah on the side while you're trying to memorize. That that's my my yani. It's not it's it's not it's not going to be suitable for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and and if it is like we said, it is that you. Some scholars they mm-hmm. mentioned that you have one book that is the asal, and then all the benefits you put it there. Some scholars, mm-hmm. they, they give the advice, obviously, which is very important. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this day and age, really, I do that digitally. You know, I do that digitally. I have everything that I want to gather in one place mm-hmm. regarding one particular hadith, or one particular line mm-hmm. in the mitten. I'll make sure I gather all of it digitally in one place as opposed to physically in one of my books, which mm-hmm. basically... Uh, uh, so going on to more questions around this topic, um, again, you know, there's a lot of these questions. There were multiple ones kind of saying the same thing. So again, we're just merging them together and trying to take them all at once. Um, uh, there was one person who asked about, let me see, how to know, how to know who to take knowledge from. So we're talking now about seeking knowledge in university. We're talking about now about the metan or the matun, the you know, and you know, learning the Quran and learning, you know, uh, Arabic language, etc. We said that the metan is somebody you sit with a scholar with, or you sit with somebody as a teacher. So now it leads to the next question, which is, okay, how do you know who to take knowledge from? And I think we talked about this previously in podcast, but you know, briefly we can spend some time discussing it now, especially since you know people might be coming over for uh, studies. Um, I would say, first and foremost, mm-hmm. we have to point out the importance of this question, really. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Abdul Wahab, rahmatullahi alayhi, he considered it to be the fourth principle in the famous book, Al-Usul al-Sitta, Bayan al-Ilmi wal-Ulama wal-Fiqhi wal-Fuqaha wa Bayan min tashabbaha bihim wa laysa minhum, he says, that from the principles and the foundational concepts, important things in our religion, is to clarify what knowledge is and who scholars are and what fiqh is and who the fuqaha are 
and to clarify those who feign knowledge mm-hmm. or feign to be scholars who truly are not scholars. Extremely important because if you look at it, um, guidance comes through us through knowledge, through the revealed knowledge in the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad upon the understanding of the companions. That knowledge is in essence what guidance is. So not knowing where to look for and get that guidance or not even knowing where that guidance is taken from, the source of that guidance, then of course you're you're set up for misguidance. You're completely set up for misguidance. So just wanted to point out, I mean, the whole episode could be about the importance of, <laughs> you know, that principle that Shemhan have mentioned. But we'll suffice with that, inshallah ta'ala. Regarding who, how to know who to take knowledge from, I think that really comes down to one simple answer, which is, what is knowledge? And I think most people, they go wrong there. If you don't know what knowledge is, what knowledge is defined as in Islam, then you will never know how to find it. You will never know who has it. You will never know who's feigning it. You will never know, you know, you'll, you'll be stuck. So what is knowledge? That's what it comes down to. And knowledge as defined by Shaykh Al-Sahib Al-Qaim rahimahullah ta'ala is Al-ilmu qala Allahu qala Rasuluhu qala sahabatu hum ulul irfari Knowledge is Allah said, the Prophet said, the companion said. They are the ones who know and understand, the companions. So that's what knowledge is. Knowledge is that which is revealed in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or revealed by Allah through the tongue of his Messenger Muhammad sallallahu as a hadith and his sunnah as a whole as understood by the righteous companions radiallahu ta'ala anhum and the salaf al-salih in general. That's what knowledge is. So now that you know what knowledge is, now you know who has it. The one who has knowledge of the Qur'an and Sunnah, yeah, not just memorization, rather understa- correct understanding of the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the same companions, he's the one that has knowledge. And the more someone has of that thing, i.e. understanding of the Qur'an and the Sunnah upon the way of the companions, the more knowledgeable he is. So, um, I'm going to share a small story, which I'm not sure if I've shared it before. I've done it before in my lessons. I'm not sure if I've shared it on the podcast before, which is, my brother reminded me of this uh, couple of months, or, I mean, a year or two ago, I think. And he said to me, and he reminded me of this particular uh, thing that happened between me and him, which is, we went to a masjid in, uh, in, in, in Sharjah, once I was visiting them and my mom, and someone got up after Salah and gave a, a reminder. Right, just like they do here in Saudi sometimes. He got up and he spoke. <coughs> so I asked my younger brother, I think back then he was maybe 17, I can't remember, young. So I said to him, this guy, he got up and he gave this lecture, what do you think of him, you know? And I said to him, how do you know if he has knowledge? You know, how do you know that this guy that just got up and spoke to us for 10 minutes, how do you know that he is someone that has knowledge Um based on his speech. He said, I don't know, tell me. I said to him, how many times did you hear Allah said, قال الله تعالى, none. How many times did you hear him quoting a hadith? None. Okay, quoting some of the companions, none. Then I said to him, that's how you know someone has knowledge or not. Someone sits there and um, comes with arguments or uh, stories or just 
keeps on speaking from himself without backing up his statements with verses from the Quran and a hadith from the Messenger Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or statements from the companions or, or uh, illustrious, illustrious scholars, then you know he doesn't have knowledge. Okay, so that's really where it comes down to. Uh, that's the easiest way to know who to take knowledge from. But then obviously, there's more to it as well, which is how do you know if the person is guided? Because it could be that he has extensive knowledge of the Quran and hadith, but he might not be uh, upon the correct way. So that's obviously where the importance of, uh, like Muhammad al-Sirin said, in the al-ilma dinun, fanzur amman ta'akhudun dinakum, that indeed this knowledge is religion. So look to who you take your religion from. So that's where the responsibility of making sure that um, you ask about him and you find out who he took knowledge from. That's another thing as well. Another way to know if someone has knowledge is where did he take this supposed knowledge from? Because knowledge, like we said, it's a, it's like a lineage, you know? Scholars, they pass it on from generation to generation, just like the Muhammad said, that every, from every generation, the righteous and the, the upright ones will take it from the previous generations. That's how knowledge is passed on. That's how this earth, which is al-earth al-nabawi, uh, is, is passed on. The Prophet passed it on orally to the companions who then passed it on to the tabi'een and the atba'at tabi'een and so on and so forth. That's why the ulama are warathatul anbiya. Um, so that's another thing as well. Asking yourself, who did this person take knowledge from? And when we say who did they take knowledge from, we're not talking about him having visited a sheikh uh, here a couple of times here and there. That he actually took directly from the scholar as opposed to just sitting in a, in a, you know uh, in his general circles a few times having visited him. And it doesn't even mean, another thing as well, just because a scholar knows someone doesn't mean that that person has knowledge. Sometimes scholars, they praise individuals because of their activity in da'wah, right? As du'at and as scholars to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but that does not equate to that person being knowledgeable or being, if you like, uh, qualified to give fatawa or to, um, let alone give fatawa, to actually now start refuting other scholars. It does just because a sheikh knows him and said, I know it nothing but good about to, this individual. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't move him to know some type There's of a level of being a sheikh's praise for someone. Because we know him yeah, or we heard him being <laughs> good, you know, a, a good any individual. It doesn't move him to that Alim. level, yani. He's not on that level of a scholar. Yeah. Even a Taliban. Yeah. Yeah. Well like, and, and this is something that I've I've noticed even, you know, living in in, in Saudi, we see this a lot where uh, a scholar might address somebody as sheikh. He, and it's out of respect. Everybody knows that. Yeah, and it's out of a term of uh, respect or having some type of, uh, you know, good thoughts of that individual. Um, I seen this when I was, I think I was, might have been in a Mahad, man. And I think we were uh, with some of the Mashaikh. I think me and you were traveling with some Mashaikh. Uh, I don't want to mention right now. However, I remember in that sitting, I, I never, uh, I never forget it because I remember the Sheikh said something like, you know, what do you think, yeah, Sheikh? And I was driving a car, and I'm just like, you know, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's, a, it, it's like, wait, what? And then you, it dawns on you later, and your study's like, you know, obviously, that's not what he, you know, he doesn't intend that. You know, nobody hears that and be like, okay, I'm an island. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work that way. Um, but, yeah, so adding on to what you said, yeah. I think we addressed this in a previous podcast, but um, no, just adding to that, generally speaking, right, I remember Sheikh Saleh al-Usaymi, Hafidhullah, he mentioned uh, regarding that statement of uh, Ibn Sirin, 
talking about that this you know this religion is knowledge so look who you take your your religion from um that that generally a person should have you know uh that uh, father or that sheikh of that qariya or that, that area that city that masjid they should have some type of guidance when you start you're starting to seek knowledge and this person directs you to you know who the people of knowledge are and another thing he mentioned about that generally speaking is that people of, of knowledge are generally known sheikh Saleh fazan is known sheikh Saleh usaymi known sheikh Saleh suhaymi known like there's certain names yani it's just it's known it's muntashir sheikh bin bad sheikh uthaymin yani you'll find even taxi drivers mentioning these type of names you know when you're in the memleka these names are known there's nobody under no no rock somewhere not known generally speaking now you may have people in the west however that may not be uh known to the world right so how do we determine that well we look at the again his area right people are benefiting from him they have not seen you do you see any bid'ah from him what do the people who are teaching in that area say and it's very important to, to mention and he's known to have taken knowledge from the scholars as well that's another important point exactly exactly that's very important to mention because like you mentioned you, the story of when you were in the masjid with your brother yeah, you might have, that's the easiest way to determine somebody doesn't have knowledge, right? They don't mention Allah, they don't mention Qal Rasul, Allah said his messenger said, or their companion said, they don't mention those things. But there are some people who are a bit more yani, uh, witty, so to say, you know, they, they might mention these things, but they mention them in a wrong way and they explain it in a wrong way, you know. Um, these are these are the individuals that, you know, uh, it's very important to make sure you look to see, okay, who is encouraging with these individuals? Um, who said this is what they're saying? You're not going to find people who are teaching Quran and Sunnah to come with Jadid. You know, this... this. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of like, a, there are so many factors to consider, and I think it's kind of like a funnel, really. You know, the way that when you go shopping on Amazon and you put on filters, it's kind of like filters and a funnel. So... Uh, I mean, some of the things that I've mentioned, especially the one where I said, okay, listen to if he's quoting the, the Quran or, or Sunnah. I mean, that is something that it will really disqualify even a lot of well-known names and people who are out there giving da'wah, you know, or are, are considered to be mashayikh, uh, social media celebrities or, or influencers or people that are out there whose names who might have millions of followers. Just with this very simple filter, you can filter out if this person is actually a person of knowledge or a motivational speaker. Okay, very simple. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's when what you say we person of knowledge, we make sure we're, I mean, we're clear scholars, to the people. Allah. Person of knowledge of the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He might be knowledgeable in tib. You know, he might be knowledgeable when it comes to his different sciences or mathematics yes. or, you know, something he studied, you know, uh, being some type of, you know, life coach with some type of strategy of working out, whatever the case may be. Maybe. But when it comes to this end right here, which is the most important end, you know, the Sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that right there, you have to have Qalallah Qarasul. No, absolutely. And that's that's like a, that's one big filter then, obviously. There are a few things, mm -hmm. just to summarize, yes, that are absolutely crucial. Number one, if this person has not known to have taken knowledge from yeah. it's not, it's a not scholar, a yeah. then forget it. Mm -hmm. Where did he get it from? Out of absolutely out of the question. If he hasn't taken knowledge directly from scholars, out of the question. Doesn't matter how convincing he sounds. Uh, then we have, like we said, um, his knowledge of the Quran and the Sunnah. And then we need to differentiate between a da'i mm -hmm. and a talib ilm or a scholar. I've got nothing mm -hmm. against du'a. Du'a they're doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm. 
وعمل صالحا وقال اني من المسلمين اوكي ذا بروفيت محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم some wealth would come to him or some people would come to him and he would teach them tawhid and a few things he would send them back to the country to go and teach the people they'll come back with their whole qawm having accepted islam sometimes so that is that is an amazing thing yeah. and that is beautiful but they are not reference points okay they dua they're good for what they do but when we have questions when there are contentious issues that are affecting the community we don't return back to them let alone mm. going back to such individuals to ask yeah. about scholars la ilaha illallah how things have turned upside down you know <laughs> you go to the dawi to ask about the scholar <laughs> it it does it does and i wanted to add something to that um because what we're talking about now, I think, is really general points that we – a lot of people, if you're following the podcast, we've discussed this, and we talked about this at length. You know, We're just going through it really quickly because it was a reoccurring question coming up. But there was something added to it, right? Somebody was asking, um, how can the common person in the West uh, know who to take his dean from? I think we talked about that generally. But it says we have uh, people who have been given da'wah, but now we see you know, new faces popping up. And something along these lines. Uh, let me see if I can find the exact question. I sent it to you, right? This one. Yeah, this was a question. Yeah, it wasn't a question just to you. It but it's a upon the same topic that we're discussing right now, online. right? Um, yeah. At any rate, what I want to mention about this this topic, right, of somebody being in the West, right, and giving da'wah, and uh, you know, maybe he's a student who's been studying. Five years, four years, ten years, twenty years. He goes back to the states. He goes back to the West, whatever the case may be. It's important to uh, when that person is being asked about in that particular area, like you mentioned, knowledge is qalalaka rasul. Allah said, and His Messenger said, be very careful when you're asking people about this individual if they have this qalalaka rasul, because you see sometimes there is a bit of, I would say, Allah knows best, maybe hasad. Maybe a bit of, you know, okay, I don't see him with this particular group. I don't see him, you know, moving with this particular circle. Um, and that doesn't necessarily disqualify you from being someone who can take knowledge from. Um, so what, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is the fact that make sure if somebody's talking about somebody, right, a new student or not a new student, somebody who's beginning da'wah, make sure they're talking about that individual with true knowledge. He said this. Allah says this, the messenger said this, we don't take knowledge from that person. He does this, he's with this people, and we know he says this, and he said this, and here's his kalam here. Allah said this, the messenger said this, the sahaba were like this, the salaf were like this, and we don't take from that. Don't sit here, sit here and say, you know, things that don't have no type of basis. And, it, and it's really, you know, uh... Uh, puffed up pieces, hit pieces, right? To make it seem like it's something big, but it's not. I think I found the question. Do you want me to read it? Because um, that would give better context to your answer. Uh, the questioner, what I was asking somewhere on Twitter, Assalamu alaikum, mm. how could the common person in the USA know who to take his deen from? We know our elders that have been around for decades now, but there are so many new faces and names popping up now. Question, but the last part, um, there are so many new faces and names popping up now. People are confused and forming teams. There is no teams with Ahl Sunnah with Jama'ah. There is, there, there, there is no teams. There is no his here, his there. And the Ahl Sunnah <laughs> is one. Okay? They're one. Some people like to make it in, maybe, maybe into a his. 
you know, knowingly or no. unknowingly, like we're against these opposing people or they're not with these particular people. But Ahlul Sunnah, if you're speaking truth, if you're calling to Allah, you're coming to, to the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallam upon knowledge, you know, upon uh, knowledge, Haqqan, uh, yani, then there's no parties. It's one. We're all one. Yani, Ummah Wahida. I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head, mm. which is that going back to the question is question, right? Um, he says that, mm-hmm. okay, how do we know who to take knowledge from, right? We know mm-hmm. our elders that we've known for decades, there's many new, face, new faces popping up. Okay, Akhil Karim, there's nothing stopping you from sticking to that which you know. Right? But these new faces that are popping up, right? If there are people that know them to be people upon the Sunnah and they've done their homework and they see that they are suitable to be taken knowledge from based on having asked the scholars or knowing that they took from scholars or the like, why should that bother you and why should that cause teams or to have <laughs> different teams? Yani? That's what I don't understand, which is, okay, you know, you stick with those that you know, right? And they have these new faces popping up. Some people are taking knowledge from them. Yes, if they've done their homework, sah, then alhamdulillah, it's good for them. There's no need. It shouldn't be like, okay, if you're not taking knowledge, from those people that I'm taking knowledge from, then me and you are now on the same team. And this is what causes <laughs> so much. Like that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's, it's a highlight. It's crazy. And it's a, a lot of new faces popping up is a good thing. It's a good thing. I mean, if, if that means that a lot of new students are graduating, a lot of people are entering to the fray of da'wah, according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and benefiting the people as long as they're upon this the sunnah, like thing. I said. This should bring excitement, knowledge, especially living in this thing. type of climate. Like news. being back in America. Well, I think being thing. back in America is an eye-opener. Being back in this in this type of climate of what's taking place, you know, just last month when I first got here, it was the month of June. This whole you know alphabet mafia community was having their month, right? Uh, of what they would call their month, right? And it's like Subhanallah, Yani, we need everybody hands on to negate this, rebuttal this, uh, d- uh, defend the truth, protect our children, protect the communities, protect the society. Uh, I mean, there's Yani who. Who in their right mind is happy with just, you know, maybe one person doing it or two people or maybe no people in that particular location doing it? You know, it's like if we have more students who are involved, this is Jay. It's Montez. Yanni, why, why are we getting selfish with giving dawah? Yanni? Why does it have to be me, 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 or this Absolutely. particular circle, only this circle, this circle, this circle? Yeah, if they're calling to haq, they're calling to Quran and Sunnah, yanni, abshir, abshir. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, Akhi, um, like we've said, we mentioned when it comes to how to know technology from we've mentioned many disqualifying factors now let me point out one thing that some people consider to be a disqualifying factor which is not a disqualifying factor whatsoever which is don't take knowledge from such a person because he's not known by such and such and it just because a certain scholar or certain dai or certain group of people don't know him Okay, that doesn't disqualify that person from being a person who has knowledge or a person who can teach or a person who's upon the sunnah. Because them not knowing it doesn't necessitate that other scholars don't know that person. So sometimes you have this argument saying that, oh yeah, we have this individual teaching in the same locality as that person. Um, surely he can't be upon the sunnah. Why? Because if he was upon the sunnah, then surely the brothers in that community would have known him. Or would have cooperated with him. They don't have to know him. You know? Alhamdulillah, Ardullah wasi'ah. Okay? 
uh, just because they don't know him or he's not connected to those that you know, that doesn't disqualify him. This is cult mentality. This is sectarianism. This is hezbiyah. That you say that anyone who doesn't cooperate with us or anyone who doesn't, who, who, who our figheads don't know him, then he's not from us. Ya Allah, this is, this is sunnah, this is salafiyya, this is, <laughs> where did you get this from? <laughs> so that's not a disqualifying factor whatsoever. Your question should not be, why doesn't, why doesn't uh, such and such not know him? Your question should be, who knows him? That's your question. Who knows him from the scholars? Such that he has taken knowledge from them. Alhamdulillah, do your homework. If it turns out that he has studied under a Salafi scholar, Alhamdulillah, and he's known for khair, and, 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 and he has his tizkiyah or not, not necessarily, it doesn't have to have tizkiyah, but that scholar knows him, or he studied with that scholar, and he's known for his sunnah, Alhamdulillah. Yani in essence, we're saying, being known for your amal, and yani being known for that which you've put forth in da'wah, that which you've put forth of your actions, that which you've put forth of uh, you know, seeking knowledge, who you sought with, what you've done for how many years. Um, this is a testimony for, his, for, for, you, for, for you in, this, in and of itself. Yeah. So that's very important to note. Um, some people say, like, so-and-so doesn't know no. this person, but in reality, you find that they actually do know the person. I've, I've seen that before. And it's like they really just don't want to give a test gear for that person. Because what they're saying is they don't know anything bad about the person. <laughs> but they'll say, you know, I really don't know him. But you, you do know him, you know. Um, there's been a lot of us who kind of graduated around the same time yeah. or studied at some particular time this, in the same area. We know somewhat of each other. I mean, that's cowardice. That, that mm. is cowardice, Akhi. Look, if you know, if you know, it's one of two things. Either you, you know mm -hmm. him to be upon the sunnah or you know him to be upon his guidance. Okay? If you know him to be upon the sunnah, then alhamdulillah say, I know him to be upon the sunnah, alhamdulillah khair. You know him to be upon misguidance, speak up and, and advise the people and tell what the misguidance is. But to be like, oh, just run away from the answer question. <laughs> be like, person. Or they know only good of the person. You get what I'm saying? They rather not say that. They rather just leave it and, you know, leave it ambiguous. Like, mm, I don't yeah. know. Until you fall in line or you start cooperating, huh? Allah mustan. Allah mustan. Okay, enough with that type of foolishness. Let's move on. So uh, we've already been going for about an hour and 15 minutes, I believe. Uh, I don't want to stay on too late because it's going on 12 a.m. here in the States. Um, should we take one more question, maybe? Okay, something surrounding uh, previous seeking knowledge in the yeah. West, like memorizing Quran and learning uh, through online. I think we talked about that generally. Uh, we talked about Quran, memorization. We even gave schedules for it. That's been talked about. Uh, tons of questions balance. Tons of questions about balancing between seeking knowledge and dunyawi affairs. Mm, might be a bit long. That one. Mm. No, that one, Akhi, I just wanted to uh, point out one thing. Mm -hmm. When it comes to seeking balance between, mm. ba balance between seeking knowledge mm -hmm. and uh, the dunya or, or your worldly affairs or the likes. Allah, Akhi, to be honest, I have to say that I think that's not the case. I don't think we're we're seeking balance in that because balance, seeking balance, really, if you look at it, it means that you know you're trying to stay in the middle and not fall to either side. But I think for most of us, I don't think that's our struggle. I don't think our struggle is that sometimes we seek too much knowledge and we forget to work. <laughs> you know, it's not really seeking balance. It's really how do I not neglect seeking knowledge? That's the question, really. Um, how do I not become engrossed in the dunya? Yeah, so let's let's uh, rephrase the question. 
because we're not seeking balance, we're seeking to give more attention to the knowledge. Uh, so I would say really the best way to do that is by building good habits and routines and by starting small and working your way up. And I think what causes a lot of people who have this great intention, and a lot of brothers and sisters, they do, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve them and help them, the intention to seek knowledge. I think what happens to most people is that they have this zeal at certain times and then they go at it full at full speed and then they experience burnout. And that's when they fall back and, and they uh, become engrossed in the dunya and they lose balance. So I would say just take it slow and take it easy and build good habits. So start small. Okay, for example, you can start by dedicating one hour a day to knowledge, which will lie is kathir. It's not little, it's a lot. You can achieve a lot in one hour per day. And just hold yourself accountable for that one hour. Just block out one hour of your daily schedule for seeking knowledge and make sure you treat that time as a time that cannot be spent on anything else. And then inshallah ta'ala, once you build that habit, you build that routine, then you can expand on it, make it two, three, four, five hours or whatever. But if you go ahead, whenever you have the zeal, and you're like, okay, I need to seek knowledge, and then you line everything up, and, and you completely fill out your schedule, you're working eight hours a day, and then you want to seek knowledge for another six hours, you're going to burn out, and you're going to completely, you know, end up, you know, just doing the dunya. So that, that would be my advice, and um, obviously there's a lot more to be said regarding that, but I think most people, they lose balance because of that particular, for that particular reason, which is um, overdoing it. Uh, you tend to see that the question is not about having a balance. The question really is about how do I get my life more organized? More, most people, their time management is terrible. Okay, uh, If you're a talib and you're sleeping in until dhuhr or close to dhuhr, you're sleeping past duha, you're not a talib in. Madish. Yani, there, there has to be, yani, there's so much time in a day. Okay? that there's no reason that you should not be able to have a time to sit in a masjid for your adhkar, that which leads to maybe your memorization of your Qur'an or review of some Qur'an, which go home, have breakfast, whatever you have to do. You have so much time. Then after the dhuhr, then after maghrib. I mean, there's so much time in a day. Usually what I see is that people do not arrange their time properly. So a good way to arrange your time properly is to get a good schedule and stick close to it. And like you said, one hour uh, is really is kathir. And if you see in your schedule, when you look like I, what I used and I've used for many years, probably since the beginning, almost the beginning of when I started studying, which is Google, Google Calendar. Yeah, and you'll see if you put them color up, you'll see this white all behind that. Guess what that white means? That white means that's your free time. If you have white, <laughs> that means you have something that needs to be in that schedule, something that can lead you by the permission of Allah to being successful. So what are you going to put there? Okay. So you have to have that balance where you're not balanced, but yeah, I need that arrangement of your day where you're doing your, 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 your knowledge, seeking your knowledge, but also taking care of things. Doing your first. If you have family, obviously you got to make money. You got to take care of your family. You got to spend time with your family. You got to take them to different places and do different things. Uh, but also you'll see that there's tons of time that is in there, they can also assist you. For example, let's say you got to take your kids to school. Okay? Um, on the way to school, what are you listening to? 
What are you? What do you? What are you? What are you reviewing? What, what, what might you? You know, what is something yeah, that you can do right. in that car on the way that's beneficial, whether it be listening, whether it be saying something to yourself, um, maybe even at the stop sign looking at something. And there are certain things that you can do. A stoplight. I mean, there's certain things you can do to can make your that day beneficial, even in times where you have to do other things. Grocery shopping. Okay, take your family. Tell you, you don't have to go in really. You sit in the parking lot. Do do what you need to do. Bring your iPad, bring your computer, bring your book, bring your medicine, bring whatever you have. There's okay, there's so many different ways to get it. It's just a matter of what are you willing to give up to do it? Are you willing to give up sleep? Are you willing to give up eating as much as you've been eating? Are you willing to give up, you know, uh, 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 distractions, phones, social media, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Madridish, all these different things? Yanni, are you willing to give up YouTube? Are you willing to give up Yanni listening or watching podcasts all day? And I'm not talking about beneficial podcasts with Olama. I'm talking about things that have to do with Yanni strange things, influencers and things like that. Yanni, what are you willing to give up to get to it? And then you'll see, okay, I have time. Okay. And you'll see what can you'll start to play around with it and see what makes that uh schedule get to its most highest point. Like, how can I have the most energy in it? This is when you start looking at eating right, eating at certain times, taking little small naps at certain times to get more stronger in that ibadah of seeking knowledge and taking care of your day. So it's really a factor, I think, personally, nine times out of ten, about arranging your time and getting it organized. Wallahu Adam. I mean, it's a, it's a massive topic. The first thing I can say to you is just start in billah. Make dua and, you know, inshallah, take the means, of course. But uh, yeah, start small and now uh, arrange your time. You see my list. I had a few things that I want to talk about, but you know, it's our first day back, and we just got kept going into different topics, and now it's an hour and a half. Um, the final topic, uh, if you don't mind, us dealing with uh, this might be like four questions put into one: raising children in current times. So it says coming out of the. Uh, they, as this is their words, Alphabet Mafia Month. Please share in depth practical advice for how parents living in the West can navigate, combat, and protect our children. Steps every mu'min, every believer, parent should be following if they can't make hijra to these lands. Now, again, I kind of alluded to this earlier in our conversation. That this, I thought this is important because this was just when I got here in June. Uh, big a big thing. Yani, they were having parades downtown. Um, you see, you know, the things all around hanging up, you know, and calling children and calling individuals to this type of evil. So I thought it might be something we could discuss uh, briefly. Now, should I reread the question or you got it? No, 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 I got the question. Um, to be honest, obviously, I know the questioner asked for it detailed steps and what have you but obviously the time doesn't allow us but uh, I would really say it really comes down to one very very important thing which is a solution for protecting your children in very dangerous environments maybe in the west or anywhere else uh, and the fitting will only get worse I, don't, I, I can't see things getting better uh, the way things are going and Allah knows best so, the solution to that really is, is to cultivate your children upon the correct aqidah and to develop 
their connection and relationship with the Lord and their religion and their Muslim identity and also very importantly to make sure that your children have a strong connection with you as the parent and the Muslim community and that he feels you know he feels part of the community he feels loved and all these sort of things because you find that a lot of the youth unfortunately that fall into the traps of this alphabet mafia like you've mentioned or any other misguided calls it could be uh, the calls of the extremists for example as well or it could be any other misguided call that normally happens when the youth feels um, when the youth doesn't have a sense of belonging within his Muslim community and he does not have that strong connection with his parents that's normally when when children become very uh, prone and and uh, you know very um, very vulnerable to these sort of calls so just as a parent as a parent develop a very strong connection and relationship with your kids a loving relationship an open relationship whereby the kids feel free to ask you questions that's an important thing as well yani uh, the child might be exposed to these sort of things at school and it might be lingering around in his mind and he needs to have the confidence to ask you ya abi i heard this is this right or is this wrong and he needs to have that confidence the relationship needs to be there obviously you can also make sure that you ask and and you try and probe as well on your own side to see what he has heard outside so that you can deal with it um so wallahi that is the general solution really and and there's no there's no way around it if your child is not cultivated upon the correct aqidah and doesn't have the love of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and messenger and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam instilled in his heart then even if he gets past the alphabet mafia month there's so many other misguidances that he can fall into so you have to protect your children by cultivating them upon the correct aqidah taking the means to do so having strong relationships with them and making sure they're part and they belong uh, they feel that they belong and they identify with their muslim identity and they play a part within the muslim community that's the shortest answer that i can give practical steps obviously uh, have to be in line with uh, how to achieve these things inshallah now you gotta in essence you have to look at it like this is one trial of many trials that our children and our communities may face moving forward so you have to have that asl yani that established yani uh, uh, i would say tawheed in that cultivating that children upon taqwa that has to be there yani from a young age in your children but also amongst yourself yani you have to be a leader in this and showing how we fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how we should handle ourselves so adding to what you said about in the question of raising children in current times i would say definitely teaching your children cultivating them upon tawhid and cultivating taqwa in their heart having awareness and fear of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knowing that he's seeing and he commands us with good commands us with certain things and he prohibits us from certain things how can this be done uh, this can be done in you know being in a particular community that you know there is lessons with quran there is children who hang at the masjid not outside the masjid you know not you know uh, different places but people who are also looking for that same thing that same type of safe environment for them to uh, you know uh, grow in and play in as well so a good community you know a good masjid that is close or a mosque that is close that they can attend for lessons you know maybe some youth lessons that are there but lessons generally they're going to start at home 
They want to start at home with the parents. What are you teaching them? Are you teaching them to be, you know, honest and open about, you know, what uh, they are you know, maybe be facing or what they may need to learn as far as Tawheed and uh, Iman and the religion of Allah? Are you teaching them this? Are you teaching them things that are you dealing with them in a way which is, you know, uh, kind and, uh, you know, having some lean with them? Or are you dealing with them really harsh, pushing them away from this type of Islamic environment, you know, or this type of Islamic uh, cultivation. So uh, it, it also goes back to the leadership, you know, in the household with the parents. So these are you know, very summed up. That's how I, I look at it. You have to have these things established. Cultivating your children upon tawheed, taqwa, honesty, with a good community, a good masjid, with some lessons inside the house and outside the house, with a good leadership, being a good role model for our children. Um, also keeping them busy, keeping them busy with, with khair. Keeping them busy with khair. Most times people fall into a lot of distractions and haram by way of free time. Yani firag. Yani, are we really keeping our children busy with things which are good for them? Or are they busy with YouTube or busy with video games, PlayStation, Xbox, etc.? Yani, are they busy with bad companions? Yani, we have to keep them busy with khair. You keep them busy with khair, yani, they're going to be yani, inclined to that. And they want to stay away from anything that may be uh, other than that. You know, I would like to add mm. to the Akhi. Uh, it's actually quite important point, a practical point, on a practical step. Because, obviously, from the questions, I think the vast majority of questions, Akhi, was about Hijrah. <laughs> hijrah, Hijrah, Hijrah. And we just, it's just a topic that perhaps we have to talk about another time. We talked about it a lot. But um, what I would like to add to the Akhi is, we have to look at, the story of the companions عنهم, and look at how they made hijrah to al-habasha right because that story will teach you what the objective of hijrah really is okay hijrah is that you leave a place the objective of hijrah is that you leave a place where you can't practice your religion to a place where you can okay and here the companions have left one non-muslim country and they went to another non-muslim country and it was still considered to be what hijrah so the point I'm trying to make is that when we say things like you should belong to a community, be part of the community, you say things like you should go to the masjid and, and, and spend time in the masjid. This is practically not possible Akhi, for a lot of people because they live in a remote place within the United States or UK or whatever. Okay, The closest masjid or Muslim community that's upon the sunnah might be hours of drive away. Honestly, Honestly, my point would be, right, if you can't make hijrah to a Muslim country, right, because of all of the difficult steps that are involved and the legislations and everything, what's stopping you from moving to a community or a place, yes, where your son and your children have a local masjid, a masjid that is close by, as opposed to living somewhere on the outskirts in the place where they're completely surrounded by uh, kuffar or disbelievers, right? So my point is, if you can't make hijrah to a non to a Muslim country, yes, then even within the country that you're in, make take the steps to go to a better place. Up until Allah facilitates for you to move to a Muslim country, and I think a lot of people they overlook this. They're so hijrah, 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 hijrah. Leave UK, leave America. That's true, but not all places in America are the same, Akhi. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I was watching a video yesterday. And I didn't know this. You probably know that. I didn't know this. That there's a there's a city in the in America where the majority of people are Muslim. 
Hamtramck, right? And yeah, subhanAllah, and and they actually, the city council or whatever, they voted, or they had some kind of vote, whatever, yes, whereby they banned the LGBTQ flag to be put on any government building. And if you if you just read the comments in the YouTube, like even the Christians are like, oh, thank you, our Muslims, Muslims, you guys, I can't believe you guys are the ones that are doing this and whatever. Point I'm trying to make is that in that kind of community, that kind of place, if you find masajid that are upon the sunnah, then okay, you haven't done a hijr to a Muslim country, but it's far, far better. They're living somewhere, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in a city where there are no masajid that are close by. Your son can now be part of a community or your child or your daughter. They can they can now live their Muslim identity. They're surrounded by Muslims, you know. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing that Muslims, all of them, or as many as possible, they come and they live together in cities because together they're strong. As you can see, this is a perfect example. Yes, together, you know, within their local community, they are strong and they have a voice. Okay, so I would advise all Muslims in Western countries, if they can't make hijrah to a Muslim country, to at least move to a city or a place or a community um, where there are a lot of Muslims as opposed to living. And you know, you have to sacrifice. Okay, maybe you have to give up your house. Maybe you have to give up this job for another job. But honestly, if you can't take that first step, Right, then there's no chance you're gonna make that dream of yours making Muslim to Hujrah to a Muslim country is nothing but a dream. It's nothing but a dream. If you can't take this simple step, which will make a major difference, Wallah will make a major difference. Especially with this fitna and many other fitan, it will make a major difference. You moving to a place where you know, even in school, most kids at school will be Muslim, right? And the parents have a more of a say when it comes to the school board. So same thing again in the Hamtramck. I think they went to the school board and they done all sorts of things. I like the hal. There's 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 power in numbers, inshallah, in that regard. And that's the way that you can your child can attend a masjid. He can uh, go to the Quran school. He can be surrounded by Muslims, and that is the immediate something you can do in the coming year, in the coming few months, up until Allah facilitates for you to do hijrah to a Muslim country. So I just wanted to point that out, taking inspiration from the companions that made hijrah from Mecca to Al-Habasha. Like you mentioned about Hamtramck, um, you know, them doing what they did to, you know, uh, allow the stopping of, you know, polluting their children and polluting their community. Uh, I think something even more immediate, and Allah knows best, is my question is, well, what is stopping people from uh, speaking what their religion teaches them? And speaking truth. Like right now, for example, I'm going to give you two things, okay? First off, as du'at or as students or as, you know, people who are calling to Islam, what's stopping us from, you know, telling and teaching these individuals what our Islam, what our religion teaches and which, what is right morally to us and what's not right? That's first. And you can easily, you know, go and have meetings uh, to get, these type of things, maybe uh, voice your, your opinion on what you don't want your child to learn. And like you said, there's strength in numbers. So if Muslims are doing this, good thing. Also, I didn't see, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see a lot of people or du'at or teachers really speaking up about it uh, and refuting it. I see a lot of these influencers, you know, from the the kufar even, you know, the disbelieving uh, uh, people on you know, YouTube and things, they're doing 
a, a very strong job at doing stuff. But we should be you know, equally or somewhere close, I would say, at refuting this notion or this you know, forced down our throat uh, thought that we need to, you know, have some type of leniency with this belief. Uh, I think we need to make sure that we're we're, we're speaking up to the proper um, avenues and doing our part to make sure we clarify that this is not something that we will tolerate and accept. What's your thoughts on? What's your thoughts on that? Well, my achi, um what I would like to add to that or on on that particular thought is one thing that has caught my attention from the beginning uh, when this whole agenda. I mean, this agenda has been there for for long, but since it's gaining strength, is the reaction of the people and how profound it is, especially amongst Muslim parents, and how alarmed they are, which obviously is a good thing. But to be honest, <coughs> if we look at things from a religious perspective, right? Um, what's worse? Someone who actually does these sort of evil acts or someone who holds it to be okay? So someone who actually does it but doesn't hold it to be okay or someone who would never do it but he holds it to be okay and fine and personal freedoms and what have you and and the, that, that's actually more dangerous so the point is that you know subhanallah where were we when they were teaching at schools for example um what they call respecting other religions and um uh, interfaith dialogue or that to say that only Muslims will go to Jannah is, is, is something that is quite arrogant. We have people like Hamza Yusuf that, you know, are callers to Islam saying something like uh, to say that only Muslims go to Jannah is, what did he say, exclude, exclu whatever he gave you, there's some, some, there's some name, it's got, it's got a name that it's very, um, it's basically something to, very arrogant to say that your path is the only path to Jannah. And so, so that, that sort of ideology, okay, Okay, is kufr, right? I'm making takfir of an individual, but to say that, um, you know, there are many, that, that speech that many paths lead to Allah and it's not only Islam that will lead you to Allah, this is kufr. In the deen, and Allah is Islam, like Allah said. So the point is that um, this is something they've been teaching at schools and they have been teaching, they have been propagating in the media something far worse than these evil deeds, which is the acceptance of kufr or the respecting of kufr and and not having wala or bara based on religion so what i would say is finally if, if you know you see the gravity of what they're trying to do through this particular agenda let it be a wake up call for you when it comes to things that are even bigger than that such as teaching kids evolution at school right and that 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 to me is a far bigger um fitna for a muslim child than the lgbtq agenda for a for a for a sane a child upon the fitra who you know uh, unless he's already polluted and corrupted that is a far greater shubha than what these you know uh, alphabet community is pushing that's far more dangerous so again it brings us to the importance of like we said cultivating your child upon the aqidah and actually i take that back the importance of cultivating yourself upon the aqidah first. Because like I said, we as parents, were making this mistake of only now waking up and now causing a fuss and now asking these questions and now being alarmed, even though something far worse 
has been taught at schools. I don't even see a lot of people even really address it, um, you know, in the negative. And, and I get kind of like a feeling that people don't really want to talk about or discuss discuss it. You know, it was an entire month. And I'm telling you, Akhi, I've been here in the West. It was a big thing. Like it was, you know, it, Akhi, it was big. Like, and, and I was surprised to see like that it wasn't being discussed, you know. And sometimes it's, it's even shocking to me to see other things of less importance get discussed. You know, uh, this person is doing is not with the brothers, or this person is you know not doing this. But tell you, what about this right here? Yeah, I mean, this. I don't like. I don't. I don't quite understand it. I think you get what I'm trying to say, right? But I don't. I don't understand that. No, I get you. I think. I think it's important. No, I'm with you. Um, um, I mean, my 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 point was more like parents being alarmed. Parents are alarmed. Okay, the the dressing is a different story, but. Now, parents, all of a sudden, their eyes are open. Oh, subhanAllah, look what they're teaching my kids at school. They've been teaching something far worse to your kids at school, <laughs> you know, forever. But alhamdulillah, if you got your attention now, I think it's a good opportunity, like you've mentioned, for du'aad, to now take this opportunity to help the parents and to cultivate them and convince them of the importance of cultivating themselves and their kids upon the correct aqidah. And I do believe that Salafi, du'aad, and students of knowledge should take advantage of that and they shouldn't just leave it to the like you mentioned the uh, those harakiyin or those people who are upon misguidance that they are the only ones speaking about it and the Salafis are quiet La, I think Salafis should speak up and they should deal with this because this is what the average Muslim you know is struggling with right now so don't leave it for the people of misguidance to deal with it we have to deal with it too harakiyin and how you see them these individuals to the point where as Muslims, we're sending clips of these individuals around. And we and you see people like are kind of amazed, like, look how he speaks up against it. He's so strong or he's so, you know, maybe they don't say it in that type of words, but you can see there's a bit of like amazement, like, wow, yeah, this is good. It's like, Taif, Yanni, should we not be at the, the forefront of speaking out against this? It shouldn't be something. But if I tell you, actually, the reason for that, I'll tell you the reason for it, actually. The reason for it is that, generally speaking, okay, in this issue and other issues, you find that Ahlul Sunnah and that the people who call to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of Allah and for the betterment and cultivation of the people, sometimes they focus a bit more on what people need to hear as opposed to what they want to hear. And what I mean by that is, like I said to you, this LGBTQ agenda, whatever, as bad as it is, okay, people being called to shirk or kufr, straight out kufr sometimes a muslim needs that even more a muslim needs that even more because it's the it's the it's the base on which you know his religion is built like we said cultivating your aqidah cultivating your, your relationship with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and even when we when you brought this question up one of the first things that i said was cultivate your child upon the aqidah and that will be a protection against lbgbt qa whatever agenda and everything else Right, so sometimes the, you find a lot of Salafis they focus on that because they know that that is more needed as opposed to jumping on the bandwagon and and going with the the trend. Whereas Harakiyun, they're the exact opposite. For them, they just look at it's kind of like they do some keyword research and they look at okay, what's what people search for Google, what's 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 trending on Twitter, and they address they always address the trend, not necessarily because it's the most important thing to be talked about but because that's the thing that gets them more followers. So in a sense that, yes, in a way, let's help the people in their needs and their wants, in a way. 
But that shouldn't trump teaching the people what they really need, even though they don't know they need it. So you might have an average Muslim army person being so alarmed by LGBTQ agenda and whatever and thinking that that's what he needs to hear, that's what his children need to be protected from when he takes his child to a Sufi grave worshipping masjid. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, he's alarmed. Oh, my kids are being taught LGBTQ. When their kids... And he's taking him to the masjid to be taught shirk and how to call upon other than Allah. And he thinks that what he needs is he needs someone to address the LGBTQ agenda. La, la, la. What you need is you need to be taught Tawheed. <laughs> 100%. 100%. I completely agree. And even from the first things that I mentioned was also about, I agree with you about uh, establishing that Tawheed and that Taqwa, you know, within our children and even in ourselves, right? And being leaders in that. I agree. But they have a saying, right? That you can walk and chew gum at the same time. Meaning, <laughs> meaning we can we can do these things and we can definitely 100% work on ourselves and call it Tawheed. We're going to do that. Ahl Sunnah we already know we're going to do this, inshallah, until Yom Qiyamah. There's going to be someone calling to that truth, right? Calling to this. Uh, uh, however, yani, there is opportunities where we need to also make sure we're dealing with falsehoods. And that's, that's the only window that I'm talking about, you know, which is if it's a whole month of falsehood, right, being pushed in your face, there has to be at least yani, some type of notice about that, you know, and making bayan of that issue that's, that needs bayan. Yani, it needs clarified two people who are seeing it on a daily basis. That's all, that was my only... No, no, absolutely, I agree with you. And I think it's a matter of proportion. It's a matter of proportion. As in, you know, do, focus on Tawheed, focus on Aqeedah, but at the same time, there's so, more, so many other things that need to be dealt with as well. And I agree with you, absolutely. I do believe that Salafi Dua should give it a bit more attention. Uh, but I just wanted to explain why, you know, the Harakiyun or the Hizbis are so enthusiastic about this topic. Well, lie is not because uh, of their... Uh, you know, uh, care for the ummah or for their care of what the people need. Because if that was the case, then they would have focused on Tawheed uh, and, and, and dealt with this, you know, on the side. But rather, they make this their agenda. And tomorrow, Akhi, if tomorrow something else, you know, uh, captures the attention of the public, they'll completely change the whole marketing tactics and they'll completely focus on something else. So for them, it's all about, like we said, riding the wave. So that's why I think why there's a disproportionate um, more content from non-Salafis about this compared to Salafis. Now, do say, are we falling short? Yes, we are falling short. Uh, but don't compare. Do not compare the da'wah of the Salafi to the da'wah of the Haraki. Don't compare it. There's no comparison. The Salafi wants good for you. And he will mention to you that which you need, even though you might not even know that you need it. Whereas the haraki, he's playing to your emotions. He's playing towards that which you want to hear. He's nothing but a politician. Yes. So that he can get your your support and what have you. So don't compare the two. But we still, like you mentioned, we do need to uh, still deal with the topic. Yani. We can't just turn a blind eye to it now. It's getting very late here, Akhi. Um, I think it was a good you know, first startup after, like you uh -huh. said, almost two, three months. I'm not doing podcasts and alhamdulillah this was beneficial. Jazakallah khair. No, alhamdulillah. Barakallah fiqh. Allah jazik khair. Barakallah fiqh. And you know, thank yes. you in advance to the audience inshallah ta'ala. It's good to be back. And uh, like I say always, if you if you appreciate the Beyond Podcast, uh, actions speak louder than yes. words. Yeah. You know, comment, subscribe, like, share the video, share the khair. You know, don't allow it to, uh, you know, uh, be something that uh, you watch and then just close close the window. So while you're at it, 
like, share, and subscribe. And you actually reminded me of something that I wanted to say in the beginning, the opening, which was a thanks and a, uh, for all the support and appreciation to the audience for all the emails, uh, the different messages we got in the Telegram, community group, participation. Uh, again, it was overwhelm overwhelming and humbling. So, Jazakum Lo We really appreciate it as we took this break off. So, Allah uh, Yafadakum. And with that, uh, we'll end it. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wallahu alam.